Let's just pray for a moment. Father, prepare our hearts for the challenge of your word, which is living and powerful and brings to us such searching of heart. Pray that you'll do that tonight. Search our hearts, know our thoughts, and further prepare our hearts to respond to that challenge you will give us, to respond obediently, so that we become doers of the word and not hearers only, which is pleasing in your sight. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. There's a verse in Proverbs which says that um, we're to keep our hearts with vigilance, for out of the heart uh, are the issues of life. And hold that onto that word heart because we're going to say a lot about it. Um, I was listening to uh, a few minutes of Desert Island Discs uh, a little while ago, and the guest for, on the occasion was uh, not a Christian as far as I could make out, um, he'd made some contribution to science, and so he was fairly significant in the world. But I picked up something he said. He said during the course of his interview with Kirsty Young, I would hate to die not having done something worthwhile in life. Is this... Thank you. <laughs> I would hate to die not having done something worthwhile in life. In some way, he wanted to make a difference while in the world. And, of course, uh, not being a Christian that I knew of, it's something also that a, a Christian feels strongly about sometimes. There's a, an old line that you're all familiar with, uh, only one life, it will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last. A.W. Tozer uh, was amused as he got to know about a man who'd spent 50 years of his life developing a perfect white mouse. His entire career had been dedicated to achieving this sim single ambition. Well, what a blessing to mankind, a perfect white mouse uh, it is, as we'd all acknowledge. Although my own hero, I've just been reading about him again this, this past week or so, Dr. Paul Brand, who probably has contributed more to the needs of lepers than any other man who ever lived. He was a godly, saintly, wonderful, wise man who developed the whole of his career to helping lepers. And we sing another thing sometimes. Um, I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to serve the purpose of God while I'm alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. I want to build with silver and gold in my generation. Um, David had a personal ambition and we read about it this evening. And he shared that ambition, what he wanted to do with his life, with his spiritual counselor, Nathan the prophet, verse 1 of the chapter, chapter 1 Chronicles 17. 
And Nathan immediately approved of this. David would build a house for the Lord for present and future worshipers. And this desire that he had, this ambition that he had, arose from a grateful heart. In grace, God had given him a lovely home, a palace indeed, a palace of cedar, um, the best, the choicest material. But the ark of the Lord that you read about in 2 Samuel chapter 6, a symbol of God's presence among his people, was housed in a tent. David deemed a tent unsatisfactory quarters for God. Shall God enjoy less than I have? God had something to say on this very subject. If you want to follow in the Bibles, I want to read from Haggai chapter 1. It's page 948 in your Bibles if you want to follow it. It's Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Page 948, where we read, The Lord Almighty says, These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while his house, God's house, remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, it is reasonable to ask, should the place where we worship God together be any less well-appointed than our homes? Personal illustration, for five years, my family and I worshipped with a few others in a wooden shack. Uh, it was not in the African jungle, or the bush, but a prosperous town in the south of England. It was a broken down place of which I was thoroughly ashamed. I was too embarrassed to invite visitors there. The dilapidated scout hut adjacent was in better condition. And the prosperous church leaders didn't share my embarrassment. Their thinking was, why waste money on a building? And waste is something that uh, is, is, is always wrong. Uh, it's unchristian, something to watch. It can never be justified. Uh, we must be good and wise stewards. But the main reason they gave was, the Lord is coming again. A hall is adequate. Well, who was I to argue? But occasionally I found my way into the homes of those who held this view and made an unavoidable observation. They were homes in which no expense had been spared with regard to location, architecture, and furnishings. The word I would use is palatial. God challenged his people about double standards and misplaced priorities. As they lived in comparative luxury while God's house lay in ruins. In the case I've cited, money was deemed wasted only when spent on the venue where we met to worship the Lord. Haggai has more searching words, and if you're still there in Haggai, 
The basic problem he addressed was spiritual indifference. Chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord, the Lord Almighty says, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. He's saying, do some work for God. Get up off your seats and uh, start working. Because in all their hard work for themselves, they had found no satisfaction. Their money just melted away through rising prices and inflation. And he goes on, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains in a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Now, the focus of their lives was that of building personal fortunes rather than building God's kingdom, which came a poor second in their priorities. Now, this ancient problem, of course, is a modern problem. It boils down to how you value God. How important is the Lord to you? They were self-absorbed. But what are our priorities tonight? Matthew 6:33, Jesus said, Seek God's kingdom first and His righteousness, and all these things will be given you, all that you need. Possessions and hard work can be used for God's glory. Now, the conflict between what energy and money we spend on ourselves and our luxurious homes and the support of God's work is still with us. Uh, note, though, what I'm not saying. God wanted David to have a cedar-paneled house, not a shack. But shouldn't the Lord have a place of at least an equivalent or even higher standard? Lord, you've given me a beautiful house, is what David is saying, for which I'm truly grateful. Now I'd like to build one for you. The thoughts of a thankful king who wanted to show his gratitude in a practical way for all the Lord had done for him. He was young enough to expect to fulfill this holy ambition he had. Oh, to be young again, with a powerful desire to be something and do something for the Lord. Do you have a heart for God like that? A longing to produce from your life something eternally significant. Any true believer who's experienced the Lord's goodness and out of a sincere heart has surrendered his or her life to the Lord will have a determination to be, to do, and to give his or her best for God. Um, David's plan sounded good to Nathan. And what did Nathan say? Go for it, David. Go for it. Just do it. Do all that is in your heart. Whatever you have in your mind, go ahead, for the Lord is with you. But, uh, I haven't got points tonight. I've, I've, I've got buts. Um, there'll be little buts and there'll be big buts. And when I come to a big but, it means a new point. And uh, I'm in good company here because I remember Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preaching a sermon on the big buts of Scripture. And... Um, something I've always remembered. Um, Nathan said uh, that evening, 
or he listened that evening. But Nathan, that evening, spent time in God's presence, reflecting and praying over the issue of the day. And the Lord spoke to him. Uh, he said this, Go and tell my servant David, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Wherever I've moved with the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? God moved around with his people, and uh, he wasn't ready at that time uh, to have a rest that his own people didn't have. When his people stopped moving around, God would have a permanent place. So, David makes an offer, but God refused David's offer in the most gracious way. Verse 4 of First Chronicles 17, our original reading, You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. Now, how would you feel if God were to set aside what is your selfless ambition, saying, thanks, but no thanks? Young men dream dreams, but good human plans, however reasonable, must give way before divine revelation. No, David, you will not build a house for God, but he will build one for you, God said. I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. Uh, let me pause there. We've got some students here tonight. We've got WPMers. We've got YPMers. Young people, are you planning to spend your life for the Lord? All your best years for his pleasure are you thinking of service overseas, preaching the gospel, teaching God's word in some context, engaging in a ministry of compassion in a caring profession? Are you going to care for children, engage, engage for the needy wherever you see it, and all for Jesus' sake? After conversion to Christ, Saul of Tarsus was immediately given a vision of a life of service for the Lord. You read about it in Acts 26. You needn't sit, turn to it, but this is what God said to him when Saul was so dramatically converted. Saul, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. That was his vision. God wasted no time with Saul at the time of his conversion. This is what I want you to do with your life. After this vision from the Lord, Paul subsequently said, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. It's all too easy to let the years go by and for good intentions never to be realized. The lure of ease and materialism is powerful. We can end up on John Bunyan's enchanted ground where we are tempted to linger too long when we've been called to be pilgrims. Love for things of a passing world proves too strong for many Christians. 
who refuse to lose their lives for Christ's sake and the Gospels. The normal requirement of a disciple is to lose his life for Christ's sake and the Gospels. Time goes by, the picture isn't painted, the book has not been written, the good remains undone, the sacrifice has not been offered, God's temple hasn't been built, and the commendable goal you had at one time has not been reached. I was sitting, perhaps where Margaret is sitting there, in this church 35 years ago when I was assisting the pastor. And I think it was Michael Griffiths who was in the pulpit. The missionary weekend. And five words he said stuck with me. I've recalled them many times. He said, young people, don't fritter your life away. Young people, don't fritter your life away. But, but, even when we have shown willingness of heart to go for him, what then if the Lord doesn't take up our offer? Why isn't God using me more to extend his kingdom when willingness is not the problem? Why did God turn down David's offer? Well, he explains in First Chronicles chapter 22, which we read, you fought many wars. Maybe I'll tell you my testimony sometimes and tell you that I never wanted to do what I'm doing. I wanted to do something else. Well, this, this is the sovereignty of God, the way he acts in our lives. You are to build a house. You are not to build a house in my name because you shed much blood, but you'll have a son. He is the one. And so, of course... We speak of Solomon's temple, not David's temple. A house will be built for me, David, but not by you. I wonder if you were standing in David's shoes, whether you'd be a bit hurt. But a time came, you know, when God said, Not you, Moses, Joshua. He will lead the people into the promised land. And Barnabas, who was so good to Saul of Tarsus and brought him in to the people of God when they didn't trust him. Barnabas was a great friend, the son of encouragement. Lovely, lovely Barnabas. God said to Barnabas, not you, Barnabas. My chosen vessel is your friend, Paul. I must be prepared for the possibility of God setting me aside in favor of another, accepting it with humility and grace, being set aside can happen in various ways, you know, and I've seen it. An unexpected illness, a disabling accident, the need to care for a loved one, loved one, a, a child becomes sick and therefore becomes a God-given priority. Then a ministry for, for which someone has been trained and equipped and approved may never begin. Others who wanted out of the business, the factory, the classroom, the practice, in order to do something directly for God. But of course, I hasten to add, to say that whatever you're doing, you should believe is the calling of God. And there are those here tonight who are in the various occupations, and they're serving God just where they are. There are some encouraging words for David from God, through David's son Solomon. My father had it in his heart 
says Solomon, to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you're not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood. Time and time again, we have this truth. It was in his heart. David was a man after God's own heart. You can commit sin in your heart. You can do good in your heart. God knows the hearts of all. It's important that we see that whatever is in our hearts never goes unnoticed by an all-seeing, all-knowing God. His knowledge of the human heart and mind is perfect. Uh, if you remember the message to Samuel on the day of David's call to the monarchy when he was but a stripling teenager, son of Jesse, Eliab was paraded, and surely the Lord's anointed. He a great strapping fellow. Then there was, a, not him, Abinadab, oh, well, it must be him. No, not him either. And God said to Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. His sight goes much deeper. And he knows the people into his, whose hearts thoughts of pleasing him have never entered. David pleaded, Search me, O God, know my heart, test my thoughts, and see if there be any way in me that is grieving, and lead me in the way everlasting. In, it was good that was in your heart. It's where it all begins. God says, My son, give me a heart. Well, have you asked the Lord from your heart, Lord, what will you have me do? Not what sort of career should I choose and pursue for my own best advantage to maximize my income, to live in the biggest house, to drive the biggest car, to have the best holidays. No. Jesus entered his father's business. And the Bible records him as saying, I must be about my father's business. We were made and redeemed for God's pleasure. If God is your father, then you must enter his business. Yes, Jesus became a carpenter, but then he became quite a different servant of God. He went about doing good when he was called to his heavenly father's business. He became a sower that went forth to sow the seed of the word. He preached the gospel to the poor and deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. He said, I've come into this world, O oh God, to do your will. I pause there. In the light of what I've been saying, this is what I think. That in heaven, David will be rewarded for having built God's temple, even though he didn't. Dr. F. B. Meyer supports me here. He maintained that God will credit us for what we would have been if we might have been. 
what we would have done if we could have done. Does that console someone this evening? There are things you would have gladly done for God if only you had the opportunity. You are, therefore, a choice servant of God. You wanted to live a life of sacrificial service for the Lord, but the opportunity never came. <clears throat> Remember before House of Fraser, there was a Bins there. Remember Bins, the older ones? Well, Bins is a Sunderland firm, really, not an Edinburgh firm. And Sunderland is where I was converted, of course. And soon after I was converted, I met a girl called Pam. And she felt the Lord was calling her to China. She became, uh, uh, temporarily anyway, as she thought, uh, an assistant in bins. They had a, a China shop in Fawcett Street in Sunderland, and she realized that it was, God was calling her to bins, China. And not, not overseas, and she spent many fruitful years there. But, yeah, we can serve God, but let's be sure of where he's placed us and we're there because he called us. Uh, you wanted to live for God. You were eager. And it wasn't the trappings of professional success or the desire for praise or gold medals or prominence or wealth or, or the selfish love of ease and plenty that held you back. You saw the emptiness of these things. You saw these things for what they were worth a long time ago. It was circumstances beyond your control. You know, there are, as, as in the pastoral work, you, you see people in their homes and you realize there are Christians with missionary hearts who've never been missionaries. They've never left these shores. Some have never left their beds through chronic illness. And the God of all grace will credit them for what they would have done if they could have done Many heroes of faith go unsung in this world. And there are those who have given themselves to the great ministry of serious prayer. Others have provided hospitality and practical help for God's servants. Welcoming them into their homes. What would we do without them? Giving financial support. Of those who serve in this way, Jesus had something to say in Matthew 10. Anyone who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Anyone who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you, he will certainly not lose his reward. The Lord said of one honored lady in Mark chapter 14 and verse 8, she did what she could. And I always feel that that would be a fine epitaph on one's gravestone. He did what he could. She did what he, she could. God will reward you for the harvest you would have reaped. How and why? Because he knows with certainty that it was in your heart. Even if it only got as far as your heart, he will say to you in that day, Well done! But Lord, I didn't do it. Well done, good and faithful servant. It was in your heart. So David had a dream unrealized. But what was his reaction to disappointment? Well, immediately he recognized that there was something he could do. 
there always is, you know, there's always something we can do. His energies were redirected into a new commission and God appointed him to give himself wholeheartedly to collecting the materials for the house of God. Now, I'd like you to follow this. So if you've got page 433, um, if you find that, I'd like you to follow this. And we're drawing to a conclusion. First Chronicles 29, verse 1. David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is for man, not for, not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources I've provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, all kinds of fine stones and marble in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of God. Over and above everything else I've provided, 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver. Now, he says, who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Now, there's a challenge. He was doing his bit. Now, what about you, he said to the people? <clears throat> Are you doing your bit? So the next verse is the response. Then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and hundreds, the officials in charge of the king's worth, gave willingly. So then, concluding, there was a work that David was not permitted to do, but there was a twofold work he did do. It was not building or construction. It was preparation and provision. Now, has God called you to the ministry of preparing and providing? Some go to war, others stay and guard the stuff. Some go down the mine, others hold the ropes. Some fly the planes and others guide them through the sky from the ground. Essential work. They may never get to fly. And then in First Chronicles 29 verse 9, verse 14, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. Note that. If you're an elder, you're a deacon, you're a pastoral group leader, you're on the pastoral team, whatever. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for their leaders had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. Leaders, brothers and sisters, are to lead by example. It is to be ever thus. David also rejoiced greatly. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, Lord. We've given you only what comes from your hand. Oh, Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that we've provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your own hand and it all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people have given to you. So the king gave a good example, then the leaders gave a good example, and the people followed. Without David's generous material provision, the temple would never have been built. 
By example, he motivated others. David, though you are not the one to construct the actual building, I want you to supply the material for those who will build. A work so important for the realization of the total plan. It's a partnership, you see. If you can't go yourself, you can make it possible for someone else to go. I got an email from Romania this week. Children's home. We have 2,000 euros in the bank and that's it. We will not be able to feed the children next month and we won't be able to pay the carers. Well, that's where God's people who've been made prosperous in material things can help. Uh, there are two reasons for the desperate shortage of laborers in the Lord's work at home and overseas. Firstly, we've touched upon it, simple disobedience. People who claim to be Christians and they never consider God's call. Then I ask, on what basis do you consider yourself a Christian? If that challenge has not been honestly entertained by you. And secondly, lack of resources. For those who want to go, we all know those who've left the work of the gospel because they could no longer make ends meet. They were living on the breadline. Are you able to help someone fill the place that you had set your own heart on? God said, David, though I didn't take up your offer, I want you to know that I appreciated it to the full. You did well to have it in your heart. And that is one of the kindest and most gracious things God ever said to anyone. And that same God speaks as encouragingly to you and to me tonight. Fully devoted to him. Paul said of himself and his co-workers, we have an ambition. And that is to please him. So David and Paul and his co-workers become models to all believers of an unstoppable ambition of the highest kind, the selfless kind, living for the Lord's pleasure and teaching others to do the same. My successor in the chapel here was Alistair Begg. When he was called to Parkside, and with this I'm definitely finished, he said, Tom, take a look at this job description that I've got from Parkside. And it, it's a, a great job description, but there's one line. There's one line that stuck out, and I've written it all over the place in my notes. The pastor of the chapel, as it was called then, Parkside now, the pastor must be what he wants others to become. I love that. The pastor has to be what he wants others to become. Leaders, you must lead by example. And then others will follow. Well, that's all I, I have to say. Let's pray together.